how's your summer going? Pretty good? Mine's going pretty good, too. Actually, I've been out uh, golfing a few times. I love. It's one of the things I do love to do is golf. And uh, I was just thinking about last time I went out, how what I was doing as I stood over the golf ball, I've been doing ever since I was in eighth grade. Eighth grade, that's when I started playing golf, and I've been playing it ever since. And uh, my score would not reflect that. I'm not telling you I'm a great golfer, but I do like getting out there. But, you know, I was standing over my ball. First of all, I was looking, you know, I come up to my ball, and I stand behind it, and I, I line up with the target, and I make a line in front of my ball. And I about a foot ahead of my ball, I, I make that line to my target. I did that in eighth grade, figuring out how to make sure that I'm lined up. So then I, you know, let's say I'm going this way. So then I, I line up. I got the ball there, and I've got my little line, and now I have to square up my club head. And that club head has to be perpendicular to that line. Okay, good, yep. I, you know, I've been doing that since I was in eighth grade, reminding myself of how to line up that club. Then got my hands just right on that, on that club, and then I line up my feet. i got to make sure my feet are in line with that little one-foot line. So I don't even have to worry about this, where I'm heading anymore. Now I'm just focusing on this. You know, to line up my feet, I've still always, since eighth grade, like lined it up with that little line there by my ball. Reminding myself, okay, that's good. Now I have my... My grips. Now, now I got to think about this. Now, low and slow. That's how you do your backswing. Low and slow. So you keep your club low. You keep it low, low to the ground. Low and slow. Keep that arm straight. Never want to bend that left arm. Isn't that right, Brent? Never want to bend that left arm, Brent. I played golf already. So here we go. Low and slow. And then you bring it back. You know. All right. Now, when you're coming forward, you never want to decelerate the club. Okay. Just so you know, never decelerate. You want to accelerate. You know, you want to get it going faster. So you don't want to like, whoa, I'm not sure if this is right, and slow down. You want to go faster. And then, then you got to like, you know, throw that club out there. Like finish the swing. You got to make sure you finish the swing. You got to remember all of this stuff. And then as you're doing it, you need to realize this truth about golf. In order to not mess up on your golf swing, you really can't think of more than one or two things while you're swinging the ball, swinging the club. It's true. Otherwise, it's like too much. Your brain's like thinking too much. So what I'm getting at is, oh, oh, and this is another thing. So this is what else I do. If you're playing with me, I'll tell you this right now. If you see something that I need to be reminded of with my golf swing, something's not looking quite right, you feel free to tell me. I want you to remind me of, you know, how I'm supposed to swing the golf, golf club. Now, you would think that I wouldn't need these reminders. But the reality is, when I go golfing, I always need reminders on how to swing a golf club, how to line up my golf club, how to line up my shot, and all that kind of stuff. I, I always need reminders. And, you know, whether if it's in golf or it's in life, I think we all need reminders to make sure that, in a sense, we're, we're going through it in the proper way. We're, we're using the proper techniques, that we're making sure that the way we're living our life is the way we ought to be living our lives. And so this morning, for this message, I, I, I want to just be honest with you about it. Um, for most of you in here, I'm not going to tell you anything new. For most of you in here, this morning is just going to be, it's going to be a reminder, okay? And, and so the way that I've titled the message is, is this. I've titled the message, go two slides down for me, Charlie, if you don't mind. I know you know this, but... 
I know you guys already know this. This isn't going to be anything new to you. But I think we need reminders sometimes. And so to finish up this series as we go through the book of Titus, I wanted us to be reminded of this truth. People either inspire us or they drain us, and there's no in-between. When we interact with one another, when we interact with, with other people, people will either inspire us. I mean, you know this. They'll, they'll inspire us. You know, they, they tend to lift us up. They tend to push us forward. They tend to edify us. They tend to enrich us. They tend to elevate us. Or people can be a drain, really, you know. Uh, they, they can use us. They can sap us of our energy. They can weigh us down, you know. Some people can be real pills, shall we say. And the last part of that, I think, is important. There's no in-between. I mean, if we're going to tip the scales one way or another, which way do we tip it as we interact with people? Uh, which one of these two are we? Well, this series that we're in is titled, We're in This Together. As we look through the book of Titus, we're going to see that as Christians, we are called to live this out together, to live in relationship with one another. And today, the Apostle Paul is going to finish up this short little letter and really give us just some real practical advice on how to be inspiring rather than to be draining. His opening words were basically, I know you know this, but, as a matter of fact, if you have your Bibles handy, you can go to Titus chapter 3 and verse 1. Look at those first two words. He says this, remind them. I know you know this, but I just want to remind you of this. And what he's going to remind us of is what it means to be an inspiring person, what it means to be a person who breathes life into other people rather than being a drain to them. And so to be a person who inspires others, let me just start by saying we have to be intentional about it. Uh, the way I have it in your outline is this, be ready to inspire. To be an inspiration to others doesn't just happen automatically. Uh, we have to be purposeful about it. And the Apostle Paul breaks it down for us a little bit. He starts by how we can inspire leaders in our world. In, to inspire leaders, we must do it by being the best followers we possibly can be. Now, again, that's logical, right? I mean, you know this. If you want to help inspire leaders, you've got to be a good follower, right? Notice what he says here again in verse 1 of chapter 3. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. Those words, rulers and authorities, are real broad words. He's not speaking specifically about a specific ruler or a specific uh, authority. It's just a real broad term that he's using there. And he's saying, listen, anybody who's an authority in life, you need to uh, understand that they're an authority and you've got to be subject to them, be obedient to them, uh, do some good deeds underneath them. So uh, in our society, I mean, you can think of some candid, logical uh, people in authority. Like if you're in a classroom, um, it would be the teacher. So uh, treat that teacher with respect. Uh, do what that teacher tells you to do. Um, let's say that you're at a concert or you're at some, or some event 
well, those people that are running the event are those who are in authority or maybe the security guards there. And so we should, you know, obey them if they tell us to do something or not do something. In our society, there's a lot of people in authority, police officers, judges, parents, employers. Be subject to them. Obey them. And I, I think where we can learn this the, the best, maybe the best place to start is with our children. We've got to make sure that we model what it means to be subject to those in authority. We've got to instill it into our kids. So, uh, for instance, as adults, we must not disrespect authority figures ourselves. When we are engaged in somebody who is in authority, we've got to teach our children and show our kids that we are subjecting ourselves to them. And I would say also that we just have to guide our kids on what it means to subject ourselves and be obedient to authority. So what that doesn't mean is uh, that we can't disagree. Of course you can disagree, but we want to teach our kids, but you disagree respectfully. You, you disagree by maybe raising your hand and asking a question. Just don't be rude. I mean, all these things are just real practical things. But I have one little caveat to this whole idea of subjecting ourselves to those in authority, uh, being obedient to them. And notice what he says here at the end of verse 1. He says, to be ready for every good deed. Let me ask, who defines what is good? I mean, ultimately, who's the definer of that which is good? Of course, it's God himself. And therefore, if there's somebody in authority that is sinning or asking us to sin, then we must do as Peter did. Uh, You can read about it in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. He he said, uh, I must obey God and not man. So we inspire leaders by being the best followers we can be. Secondly, we inspire our peers by being the best friend that we can be. Those who are our peers, if we want to be an inspiration to them, then we must be the best friend that we possibly can be. And I think uh, Titus or Paul says to Titus these things right at the beginning of verse 2 that will help. Remind them to malign no one, to be peaceable and gentle. Malign no one. It means don't slander. Don't speak against others. Don't be motivated by hate or wanting harm to another person. And just if we could keep those three ingredients in our relationships, just imagine how how rich, how filling they would be, how inspiring they would be. Listen, we're not going to malign one another. We're going to be peaceable with each other. And we're going to be gentle to one another. Wouldn't that be just wonderful? Well, let me just say two things about this. Um, It might be a challenge to us. Like, wait, um, didn't the Apostle Paul say uh, that we should speak the truth in love? And sometimes when we speak the truth in love, uh, it may not come across as peaceable or gentle or the sense of maybe it feels like we're maligning somebody. We're speaking against them in some way. Well, I think we can speak the truth in love with these three things very clearly. It's not about not speaking the truth in love. It's about the tone in which we give when we're speaking to one another in truth. So this tone of being peaceable and gentle and, and not maligning, not, not, not being hateful in what we're saying. 
Secondly, I, I just want to highlight that we all have our own blind spots in our lives. We don't think we have them. That's because we're blind to them. <laughs> but uh, we must be willing to uphold the mirror to one another and allow others to hold a mirror up to us. Now, probably labeled around that mirror would be, I'm not maligning you. I'm being peaceable. I'm being gentle. But we've got to be willing to allow one another to speak into each other's lives. Because we all want to grow to become more fully devoted followers after Jesus, don't we? And therefore, in order to do that, then yeah, let's speak into each other's lives at a, at a real solid level. But let's do it without maligning one another. Let's do it by being peaceable and gentle to each other. Well, we inspire leaders, we inspire our peers. Third, we inspire the world around us by being considerate being considerate to one another. Look at, at the end of verse 2. He says, showing every consideration for all men. By the way, that word men there is anthropos. It's mankind, uh, uh, every person. Showing every consideration for all people, every single person. Don't, don't show partiality. You know, we can be nicer to some people than we are to others. Um, especially, by the way, we can sometimes be motivated by, well, it's what we can get in return if we're nice to them. We, we tend to pick and choose. Like if this person can give me something in return, I, I just might be a little bit nicer to them. And I know, and you know, that some people are easier to be considerate to than others. By the way, to be considerate means just to have a gentle friendliness toward one another. That's what being considerate means. So I would just recommend to the world around us always have this gentle friendliness about us. Um, when you're at a restaurant and the waitress is helping you out and maybe something isn't quite right on, on what you were given, be considerate. Uh, the cashier uh, at a store when you're go checking out, be, have a, a, a gentle friendliness toward, toward everybody that we interact with. I was thinking, what, what, when do I have a struggle with this? I'll tell you when I have a struggle with this. When I have a problem that I'm trying to solve and I have to call customer service, and I get on the line and, and I get a recording and then I have to like talk to a computer and I tell all my information to the computer and then they put you on hold and they say in a recorded voice, your call is very important to us. Please stay on the line and the next available operator will be will be ready to assist you in a moment or something like that. And literally like 15, 20 minutes later, when I've you know moved on, I've got the speakerphone on, I'm doing my other stuff, finally someone comes on the phone. Be considerate. <laughs> it's at those moments that I'm like, I'm, I'm calling you because I'm frustrated already and waiting on the line for this long makes me even more frustrated be considerate. Have a gentle friendliness to anybody, to all people that we would interact with. Well, to be inspired, we need to be inspired. If we are going to be an inspiration, something has to be an inspiration to us. And so I want to just talk about what would motivate us, the driving force behind being this kind of inspirational person. To be motivated to inspire, we must be inspired by 
God himself. If we want to be a people that are an inspiration to other people, even as Christians in our world, we've got to make sure that we're being motivated by the right thing, and we must be motivated by God himself. Look at what Paul writes in verse 3. For we also once were foolish ourselves. By the way, Paul includes himself here, (laughs) and Titus, and every single person in this room. We were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, and spending our life in malice. By the way, the Greek word there, kakaia, which is wickedness, bad stuff. An envy, hateful, hating one another. I read that over a few times and thought, boy, that's a pretty harsh list. But if you meditate on it a bit, and you're really candid and honest with the Lord about it, I think like the Apostle Paul, we would include ourselves in that pronoun, we. We've been there. We have these things in our lives. Now look at verse 4. Here's what motivates us to inspire others. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. This regeneration is this total change of life, this new birth. We're new creatures in Christ because of God's great mercy, whom he poured out upon us the Holy Spirit he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by his grace we'd be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life I absolutely love those verses don't you I wish I could read them over to you as many times as I did this week like read them a lot take those with you read them over and over three through seven rich stuff Let me explain to you what being justified means, justified by his grace. Now, I've heard some people define the word justification or being justified as just as if you'd never sinned. I want to tell you, that's a bad definition. Scratch that one from your memory. Let me give you this illustration to help us understand what being justified means. Around this time of the year, uh, when I was a little kid, I mean, you know, just young, um, I my job was to rototill the garden. Now, we had a big family. We had a big garden. And I ran the rototiller up and down the rows, you know. And so I'm, I'm running the rototiller and, and moving along, and I'm doing this job. And by the time I get done, I've got dirt and dust everywhere. I mean, I've got dirt and dust between my toes. I've got it on my arms. It's matted on my legs. I'm all sweaty. It's, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. And I come in, and I take a shower. And when I get all cleaned up, when I look in the mirror, I don't say to myself, boy, it's just as if I had never been dirty. No, I look in the mirror and I say, man, I was filthy, and now I'm clean. And that's really a better understanding of what justification is all about. I, am, I was filthy, but now I'm clean. I was made clean by God's grace. I was washed clean from my sins because of what Jesus did for me. And I love that idea of being regenerated and renewed by the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is placed inside of us, we are declared clean before the Lord. Even though we have filth, 
It's washed away by the blood of Jesus. We are saved by Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one who saves us. And then that word heirs would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. To be heirs are to be sons and daughters, really, adopted into God's eternal family. When you're adopted into God's eternal family, you are safe and secure forever and ever. If that doesn't inspire us, the goodness of God, how he saved us, how he made us heirs, how he cleansed us from our sin, if that doesn't inspire us, I don't know, I don't know what would. So Paul goes on in verse 8, this is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently. I want you to be secure in this truth. I want you to be confident in this truth. So that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. These things that we want to inspire into other people are good and profitable for them. We ought to be an inspiration for other people. We ought to push them toward how good and wonderful our Savior really is. When we interact with others, we interact with leaders, when we interact with our peers or our friends, when we interact with those around us, we've got to have this confidence about ourselves and about where we stand with the Lord Jesus. Standing on this firm foundation, the foundation of the grace and the mercy of God, our Savior, and His great love for us. When we go out into this world, that's what we've got to be standing strong on. I know you know this. I just thought I'd remind you. What about the difficult people? <laughs> what about those people who don't get on board with this? What, what, about, what about people who, uh, they sap us of our energy, you know? What about people who don't breathe life into us but kind of drain us? Well, Paul then turns to dealing with drainers. <laughs> those people who can kind of, you know, drag us down a bit. Two things I want to highlight. First of all, avoid the lure to be right. Avoid the lure to be right. Verse 9, Paul says this, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. <laughs> you know, it's so tempting. It's like when you cast a wonderful lure in front of a walleye pike and you bring it right past him. He can't help it. <laughs> I need that. Well, it's like that for us, too. I realize it's this incredible temptation that when someone is wrong, and you know they're wrong, and yet they don't want to listen. They don't want, they don't want to know what's right. It's like we can go round and round and round with them, trying to convince them, but there's no way to get anywhere with them, it seems. Do you know anybody like this? Well, in Paul's day, all the way up until our day, there are people who are unbendable. They are un unteachable. They're set in their ways, and they're not going to change. I mean, not by us having some level of convincing argument. No doubt God can change them, but you just keep 
bumping our heads up against a wall with them. And in the church in Crete, which is this picture, by the way, is the island of Crete where Titus was at uh, in the church there. And in the church there with Titus, they were facing two different groups. One were the Jewish traditionalists, and they just wanted to keep bringing you back to the law, keep bringing you back to the law, keep bringing you back to the law. And, and they just wouldn't listen about grace. And then there were the Gnostics. These were people who were emphasizing these genealogies and these controversies about this hidden knowledge that you needed to have. And they were not willing to come to the truth. Titus and the others no doubt thought, well, you know, if we just try harder, or if we just try to come at it from a little bit different angle, maybe we can convince them that the way they see things isn't right. Maybe they're going to see the light if we just keep working at it. And Paul says here, stop. Stop. It's an endless talk that's getting nowhere. I think what Paul is saying is, listen, if you're going to fight, don't fight to be right. Don't fight to try and convince them, those people who are unconvincible. I mean, it's important to stand firm on the truth. Yet Paul was saying here, if you're going to fight, don't fight for that, but fight for unity. If you're going to fight, fight for unity. That's the most important thing. Look at what he says in verse 10. Reject a factious man. By the way, factious there, only time that word is found in the New Testament, in the original language. It means someone who causes division. We talk a lot about div divisiveness and a lot about having unity, but here's this factious person, no doubt, that Titus was having to deal with. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. I don't know if you see it in there, but I see grace actually at work. He's saying, listen, give that factious person, give that person who's causing division, uh, give them the three-strike rule. You know, all right, you're being divisive. One warning. Okay, you're still being divisive. Second warning. Listen, on the third warning, you're out. That's it. I'll give you two warnings, then it's over. Why? Because being unified is so crucial. If we're going to be an effective church, if we are going to carry out our mission that God has for us to invite people into relationship with Jesus and together become devoted followers after him, if we're going to carry this out, then we cannot be a people who are divided. We cannot allow people to get away with causing division, with pitting one person against another. We are in this together. Either that's true or it's not true. So let's not pretend, let's not wink at divisiveness or sweep it under the rug. Paul says, deal with it. If we're going to tithe Manitowoc, we talk about reaching 10% of our community for Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel with them, having them come to know Christ as their Savior. If we're going to bring the gospel to them, we have to be united to do it. We have to make sure that we are set on this goal, if we, if we want to inspire people to understand just how good God is, that those verses 3 through 7 I told you to read and reread, 
If we want to inspire people to see that in God, then we must fight for unity. Well, let me just finish with some real practical things that Paul finishes this letter with. Uh, Four ways to work to inspire, to make sure that we're actually doing it and not just talking about it. Okay, the first one is this. Invest in friendships. Make the effort to invest in friendships, to put effort into relationships. Look at what Paul says to Titus in verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis. Make every effort. Work at this. Make make sure that this is a priority, for I've decided to spend the winter there. So let me show you where Nicopolis is as it relates to Crete, where, where, um, where Titus is. Here's Crete right here, number five. And Nicopolis is right here where that number six is. It's this city right on the Mediterranean. As a matter of fact, when Paul was there in the winter, it was a pretty new city. Um, 300 B.C., actually, I'm sorry, 30, uh, 31 B.C. Um, is when Octavian, uh, Caesar Octavian, actually made the city, not Nicopolis. He, he built it, in, which would be just like 90 years before Paul was there. And uh, talk about wintering someplace that's nice. I mean, the warm breezes coming off the Mediterranean. It's just a lovely, lovely city in Paul's day. I guess it's still a lovely city today. But uh, this, this Nicopolis, a uh, new city, exciting city, great stuff happening. And Paul says, this is where I'm going to winter. And he says to, to Titus, now I realize it's going to be a bit of an effort. I mean, you know, you got to go across. you got to sail at least to this. You know, probably sail around here. Um, but, you know, uh, we're going to put somebody in place for you to watch over the church. But I want you to come. We need to relate to one another. We need to spend some time with each other. We need to make sure that our, our friendship doesn't wane. And I don't know where you're at, but I would hope that when you come to Faith Church and you get plugged in and get connected and you're growing together and, and you know, we're serving with one another, I would hope that you would meet your next best friend here. That's what I would hope, that we would have friendships here that are deep and lasting, that, that and, and, why do we have home discipleship groups? Why do we have HDGs? A big reason why we have HDGs is to meet new friends and to grow in those relationships with one another. And friendship that is set on the mission of God together, I mean, what could be better, really? So if you're not connected in an HDG, again, I just want to urge you to do so. Well, secondly, if we're going to work to inspire, we've got to help out just have to help out. Notice what he says in verse 13. Diligently help. Work at this. Make it a priority. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. By the way, Zenos and Apollos, probably the guys that uh, delivered the letter to Titus from Paul, they were kind of on their way, dropped off the letter to Titus, and now they've got to keep going. So diligently help them out. And then listen to verse 14. This is a A critical verse here. Our people must learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. By the way, I think verse 14 is a central theme to the whole book of Titus. That we need to check our hearts, check our lives, and say, are are we helping out? In the church body, are we consumers or are we producers? Are we helping out with the ministry of the church. Paul says diligently help. Put an effort toward it. Work at it. Work to inspire. 
be a part of what God is doing. Every single week you hear Kyle say, you know, hey, if you want, you know, want to help out, there's plenty of places to help out. I mean, it, you know, just get connected, go to the welcome desk, check out our website, send an email, whatever it takes. Maybe today, if you're not someone who's engaged in helping out, then I would just suggest <laughs> maybe this is the week where, as Paul says, we get engaged in good deeds. We say, I'm going to help with pressing needs so that I will not be unfruitful, as Paul wrote. <laughs> There's plenty of needs. We just all need to help out. Well, third, we need to let people know that they matter. Let people know they matter. Look how Paul lets Titus know that he matters in verse 15. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. <laughs> greet, greet, greet. By the way, the word greet there means to engage in hospitable recognition of another. You're, you're recognized. You matter. What Paul was saying is, listen, we've been chatting around here, and you are on the hearts and the minds of all of us around here, and we just want to let you know that. Oh, and Titus, I too really have you on my heart and mind, and that's why I'm saying I just, I just want you to know that. I'm greeting you with that. You know, we have to let others know that they matter. I mean, if people don't think that they matter to us, that we're some sort of project or, or something like that, that, that they're some sort of project or something like that, that they really don't matter to us in our hearts, then all the things about being inspiring to others, it, it falls on deaf ears. So let me just give you some practical ideas. Um, we all have texting. Just shoot out a text. I just wanted you to know I've been thinking about you. I hope you're doing all right. Or, you know, you've been on my heart. I don't know why, but I've just been praying for you. <laughs> Maybe take it to the next level. Actually get a card. Or just write a quick handwritten note. Slap a stamp on that envelope and throw it in the mail. Just something to let people know they matter. Send some sort of a greeting to them. Think of simple ways to show this to one another. Well, finally, give grace. <laughs> Remember what grace means? God's infinite goodness to us, even though we don't deserve it. His infinite goodness to us, even though we don't deserve it. God has been so good to me. <laughs> has he been good to you? <laughs> well, let's give that goodness to others. That's how Paul ends here. Look at Grace be with you all. You know, there's nothing new that I've been saying this morning. <laughs> but don't you think we need to be reminded of this? <laughs> don't you think it's important that, I know you know this, but <laughs> this is what it means to be the church. This is what it means to be faith church. We're all in this together. So let's be an inspiration, shall we? Let's be an inspiration to each other. And let's be an inspiration to the world around us that they might know, like you and I know, the mercy and the grace and the love of our great God and Savior.
Thank you, Lord, for being so good to us. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much. Thank you, Lord, for being so gracious to us. Thank you, Lord, for regenerating us, giving us a new life in you, a rebirth in you. I pray that even today we would all experience some level of a rebirth, a reigniting to be women and men and girls and boys who want to inspire our world toward you, Lord. Lord, how kind. your light so brightly in this world that so often seems dark and depressed and lonely. Lord, help us to be the church that you call us to be. Really have that sense of we're in it together. We're unified on this mission and we're unified on this call. Yes, God.